Hey now, good morning. Judy Moulton, Grateful Mindset Properties Realty Radio Show's host, coming to you live each week, Saturdays here at 9 a.m. on 107.7 FM, 1450 a.m. online at gratefulmindsetproperties.com. Thanks for listening each week on Saturday mornings at 9 to local real estate through national news with fun facts, art, science, human interests, and local guests. I'm glad to be back. And lastly, I'm grateful for consumer advocacy. That is why I'm here each week bringing local guests, local news, and local culture, volunteering my time to bring information to the public, wanting to make sure each person I encounter knows that they have rights and what those are and how to help them get answers to what they don't know or don't know that they don't know or may not be aware of in the local area and beyond. Stick around for my local in the spotlight news. This week's guest will be London, my assistant here at Grateful Mindset Properties in Hendersonville, North Carolina, serving Western North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Virginia. Glad to be able to bring all that I do each week and glad to have an assistant and more in my office and elsewhere serving the public with loyalty, with trust, and bringing value to those that I serve. So Judy Moulton, Grateful Mindset Properties. We Quick fact about Grateful Mindset Properties. We were founded in 2020, serving Western North Carolina and beyond with a Grateful Mindset. Grateful Mindset Properties is a local real estate expert. We have been voted as attentive, responsive here in Hendersonville, North Carolina, in the Lenox Park area. Um, we have a We reach far and wide, and we are hiring agents, provisional and non. We work with clients all over the U.S. We get folks moving here from North Carolina or art outside, and of course, Hendersonville, Asheville, Brevard, Canton, and Wadensville, to name a few. I'm out of the Hendersonville office, located in, like I said, Lenox, Lenox Park at the end of the Acousta Trail in Hendersonville, North Carolina. So please reach out for any reason or no reason. I can be reached directly by text or by phone at 828-290-0940. Um, we offer real estate reviews. If you'd like to know what your neighbor's home is selling for, if you'd like to list your property, I am a value expert. Right now on the MLS, uh, let's take a peek. We've got six coming soon, 24 new listings, two price increases, 35 price decreases, seven back on market. See what's going on today. Okay, right now, a nice price point under a thousand square feet. So I want to make clear that the medium price point in Western North Carolina and beyond is about four hundred and fifty thousand. So the mid four hundreds, about five hundred and above. Um, you might see homes that sit a little bit longer if they're priced too high. Um, if uh, if they're over five hundred thousand, they might sit a little longer. Just you know, based on the median price point, three hundred thousand. You're looking at uh, manufactured homes, typically double wides, or homes that need a lot of work. Two hundred thousand single wides, or homes that are smaller than a thousand square feet. Um, and need work, you'll probably see in about the 300. So right now, for example, 970 square feet in Black Mountain, a three-bedroom, one-bath is listed at 348000 It was built in 1981. In Fletcher, uh, 510000 1,900 square feet. In Fletcher, 464000 um, Nice size, 1,800 square feet built in 2007. So these are some of our uh, highlighted coming soon listings. Also, we have, let's take a peek, some of our featured new listings, uh, Lake Toxaway, 
Two million and change in the Lake Toxaway Estates, Lake Lore in the Rumbling Bald subdivision, three uh, three bedroom, three bath, built in the eighties. Um, very nice. That is for five hundred seventy thousand. Zirconia, an unincorporated town, right in the outskirts of Hendersonville and Saluda area, for six hundred forty thousand, and that is a nine hundred sixty-seven square foot home. Um, in Etowah, 399000 tri-level. Uh, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, went for a half-bath, uh, built in 69. So, again, median, median square price, medium price point is 450000 more or less. Anything above 500000 move-in ready, um, not overpriced, may sit for 15 or so days. On average, 30 days is a long time for a price uh, for a property to be sitting around. Um, we still have homes that are selling above list. Um, but if they are move-in ready, they sell above list. We're not seeing as many uh, properties uh, uh, with people um, overbidding. So it's usually right around list price or slightly above or slightly below. So we're more of a balanced market. Um, so it is a good time to buy property, although interest rates are still in the sevens. Um, we still are in that 7.8 for the 30-year, excuse me, 7.7 for the 30-year, 7.78 for the 30-year, and 15-year about 7.3. So about the same as it was last week, uh, still slightly below what it was two weeks ago where it was almost at 8%. Um, so we are still seeing that. So that is uh, something that we may see go up and down again uh, by the end of the year. So I'd like to bring on my special guest, um, London. So, hey, London, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great. Getting over my bronchitis. Those of you that have been listening diligently in the past six plus weeks, I've been dealing with this cough and uh, I am starting to get over it. But it is nice to have London on here, my assistant. Um, she is extraordinary and very helpful. I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't have a life if I didn't have her assisting me and other agents as she does. Um, so, London, tell me <clears throat> what brings you in today. Well, first of all, it's interesting to be on this side of the recording slash camera. But what brings me in today is to talk about both what I do as a PhD student and a little bit about the housing market in this area. Okay, so let's start with you as a PhD student. So what is your PhD in? Well, I'm getting my PhD. I'm getting your PhD. <laughs> in cultural anthropology with a focus on higher education for first-generation and low socioeconomic status students uh, in regards to inclusion, engagement, and success in the university uh, within Appalachia specifically. So that's part of why I'm here in Western North Carolina. Fabulous, fabulous. And how, is, how have your studies been going? Have you been finding anything interesting since you've been here? Well, I can't really talk about that because of uh, confidentiality and making sure that everything is, you know, safe for the people I research. You have to make sure everything is essentially behind a wall of uh, approved Top, not approved topics, but um, 
what's called the IRB or the Institutional Review Board. Make sure your research is ethical and anonymous and not harming anyone by leaking their information. So I can't really talk about things uh, in terms of specifics, but I can say it's very interesting to be in this area. I grew up in West Virginia, so also part of Appalachia, and I've lived here in Hendersonville actually since 2018, though I go to school uh, in Kentucky at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. Uh, But uh, generally speaking, it's very interesting to research this area because depending on where you are in Appalachia, especially because this is an area that's often seen as having transplants, it really affects sort of what we consider these statistics, right? Mm -hmm. So who's moving here versus who's originally from here really affects what we see in terms of education. So if you have a lot of older transplants who maybe have a college education coming to this this region versus people actually going to college within the region being more likely to be first-generation students, meaning uh, whose parents do not have a college degree, specifically a four-year degree usually. Uh, And so it's just interesting to see kind of what's behind those statistics from uh, cultural anthropology looking at a more experiential versus, say, survey or... uh, classic in a lab beaker science type PhD project. Got you. And what are some of your, I guess, some of the findings that you can share, obviously, uh, well, I should say, or why, why, let me rephrase that, why Appalachia? Why choose that? Is it because you were raised there or, you know, what fostered that interest? I mean, number one, my, P, or not my PhD advisor, my undergrad advisor also studied in Appalachia. So yes, a big part of it is that I grew up in West Virginia. I grew up in the only state that is entirely within Appalachia. And my undergrad advisor at West Virginia University was also an Appalachian studies person, specifically looking at uh, tobacco farmers in eastern Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so that I took one course with her and then I found myself just so interested in the region. And when I was doing my undergraduate work and my project, I decided, you know what, this is a region I'm interested in. It's something I'm passionate about. And then I found, you know what, I'm also passionate about education. So that's how I ended up looking at Appalachian education. Great. And you're a great teacher. I know that firsthand. I've learned a lot about Appalachia just from you and the and students that you've taught. So, and then you also teach art, which I know is something that you enjoy. I mean, you're very crafty and artistic and something I really cherish. But besides Appalachia, um, or besides your studies, um, I know you bought your first home when you were 24. Is that correct? In 2020, it was actually, I believe the home went through March 19th. (laughs) That could be slightly iffy, but it was originally supposed to be like March 11th, and it was a little bit after our original scheduled time. And ironically, I remember going to a concert, I believe it was March 9th. It was the Lumineers in Louisville, I believe. <laughs> now I can't quite remember if it was Louisville or Cincinnati, but I'm pretty sure it was Louisville. And so we were there having a blast. And then by the end of that week, COVID protocols were kind of put in place for the university where we were all sent home for spring break and we never came back. And so I ended up signing for my house uh, remotely, which I think at the time people thought I was a little bit weird or crazy about. But in the end, it was actually, I think, sort of not smart, but just I think people took me seriously after that, meaning just didn't think I was crazy for not being there 
because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one realized what, what was going to transpire, I'm sure. So do you feel like your agent was helpful during that process? Do you feel like, I mean, obviously the, the, the final walkthrough was remote. I understand that. And you had to sign paperwork uh, with a notary that sort of had to come visit you. And I don't remember if we were, if we were wearing masks then at that point. No, because I believe we hadn't been told to wear masks yet. Or okay. We may have actually been told, don't wear masks. The hospitals need the masks because okay. this was before they were really producing them. Right, right. The rationing of, of various things, yes. Um, okay, so, and do you feel like the, it was valuable to, I mean, it was your first experience with buying a home. So what did you think of the whole process? Uh, well, I definitely think we started out... We were like, okay, this is our price point. It's really low. <laughs> and then we saw homes in that price point and we were like, okay, this is not what we want. They were either really fixer upper or just, you know, not in the area we were looking to live. And so we had to raise our price point, not considerably, but up, you know, from probably like 50000 Because when you're looking at houses, even if you're not actually getting that value, let's say if the average home price is four fifty, and you're looking at homes really between four and four fifty, you might get a house that's four fifty or it might be four oh one, you know, so you never know. But we were looking in those price points. We saw I think at one point like fourteen houses in one day. Kind of feel bad for that realtor a little bit just because we were so determined to find something. And we actually did. And I remember being really surprised because it was a house that actually was back on market where I don't remember or maybe I didn't know at the time exactly why it had fallen through originally, perhaps financing uh, or maybe inspections. You never know. Any reason or no reason, right? Yep. Never know. And so we went to this house in the evening at like six o'clock, saw it, fell in love with it, thought it was so cute, everything that I wanted, you know, and then my realtor called me as I was sitting in the Kroger parking lot about to go into the grocery store and said, they're calling for highest and best by eight o'clock tonight. And it was like 730. So I ended up doing everything over the phone with her and then running home and making sure everything was signed so that she could put it in and we got the house. So it did work. Congratulations. And so here we are. How many years later? Three? No. Three. Yep. Three years later. Do you still feel good about that purchase? Um, I think... <laughs> I know, mixed feelings there. Uh, sure. Well, it's whenever you buy a home for the first time, you also run into first-time home buyer problems. Right. So I think the most basic one is you have to take care of it. Right. Which means things like having to mow the lawn and trim your bushes and trim your trees and clean your gutters and... Just, you know, obviously inside you had to, if you have an apartment, you still have to clean the inside. That's normal. But having to take care of the outside of a house is very different. And I remember talking to people and they were like, oh, just because I don't want to mow a lawn, I would rather stay in an apartment. Um, but also just it's expensive to buy a home, especially when you're young and in my age group of, say, 20 to, well, also 30 year olds because PhD students come from everywhere. But... Yeah, it was just, it was an interesting process. And then we also had some uh, various storms and weather events. And Kentucky's been hit by a lot recently. So yeah, that climate change is real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we had ice storms and we had 
heat waves and freezes and everything. So it's been interesting taking care of the house. But so you don't. There's no no buyer's remorse because mo- t- most buyers after two years, the typical uh, sort of average is two years when people are like, oh, I'm ready to downsize or I'm ready to move here. I'm ready. There's a, usually change hands after two years. We always say stay in your home for one year before you sort of make any drastic changes. But two years is the average. Um, so you're at three. So you don't have that buyer's remorse. You re- recognize, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, 24 now, 27. Um, and also living in apartments, you know, student housing and, you know, all the different places that you've, you've, uh, lived in, um, sororities and what have, you know, what have you, um, I'm sure it's more affordable to own your home than, you know, you're, you're one of the lucky ones. You know, you could have, you were able to buy a home less that you pay in a mortgage than you pay in rent. You had what, a 400 square foot apartment, I think at one point when you were, you know, whatever walking distance to the university or whatever bus ride very close but that was am i right yes so my mortgage 3 years later is still less than my first apartment was and my first part or first apartment in lexington specifically mm-hmm. but my first that apartment even at the end of that first year was going up i believe 50 dollars in rent a month and that's the thing is why so many people want to purchase a home is because it is cheaper for mortgages than it is apartments. However, getting over that initial hurdle of even being able to pay for a mortgage is really difficult, especially because you have to have the down payment, or if you don't have a down payment, you have to have the right type of income and not too much debt, the whole debt-to-income ratio that they figure out in their magical mortgage lender minds. But that creates just a lot of issues, I think, especially for people in my age group who don't necessarily have the most well-paying job or they're considered starting out and they maybe don't have a large savings or don't have financial help from family, etc. And that really creates a lot of struggle for young people. And that's why there's a lot of issues with affordable housing now, especially because renting is so normal. And, you know, we talk about all the time, like people flipping houses and taking affordable properties and making them suddenly expensive or going to areas that were formerly a little more affordable. And, you know, as I say, like gentrifying or putting a lot of money into this area. And then now the people who could afford it can't or people who you have to move further out you have to be more rural and then you know if, if you're one of the sort of the the, the essential or not essential worker but uh, anything that that people that are in the service industry etc um you know and they may not have the best car there's not a good infrastructure in terms of buses and transportation for example in western north carolina um they have to live further out but that they also need to get to work at 6 a.m. or work evenings. And, you know, it's very difficult to find affordable housing within 30 miles of Asheville or 30 miles of Hendersonville, for example. Um, so that is, it is an issue. And obviously it's an issue across the country or you know, other parts of the world. Um, but that brings up something that, that I'm sort of mindful of these past couple of weeks, which you may or may not be aware of. Lennon, you know, when you were buying a home and you had to, you didn't have to pay a commission, right? That was something that was covered by the the sale or the seller's side of the of the transaction, correct? Do you remember? Yeah, meaning that the realtor's commission is always, not always, that's actually a 
part of what I know you're about to start talking about is that realtors' commissions are typically by the seller side, meaning the buyer is bringing all the money to buy the home, but not to cover the sort of transactional fees for realtors. But yes, I did not have to pay any of the realtor commission fees. No. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's been in the news lately. So it wasn't until the sort of early 1990s, like 92, 93, we actually had buyer's agents. Um, Prior to that, it was you were always a seller's agent or the agent that represented the seller. And um, there was really no consumer protections or advocacy for the buyers. Um, And... uh, you know, what's in the news right now is is sort of controversial, I'm sure, for some people. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, for example, on CNN just brought up an article. I'm bringing up an article. Um, the National Association of Realtors, also called NAR in short. Um, right now, after a 1.8 billion verdict, the clock is ticked with the title of the articles. The clock is ticking on the 6% real estate commission. So we're talking about the real estate commission, which is typically um, whatever the, the negotiable rate is, the seller has typically paid the bulk of that. We're seeing more and more. I'm seeing it more and more when we're seeing listings. You as my assistant see this more and more. We talk to buyers about this, you know, in terms of buyer's agency. We start out as an oral uh, agreement, and then we reduce that to writing whenever we write offers. Um, and so typically, the buyer is not to pay, had to pay a percentage.